Welcome to the Zenove Podcast. You're listening to our Business Resilience Series, where we bring to you conversations between eminent industry stalwarts and thought leaders from across the globe as they discuss their insights on overcoming challenges and the mindset that help them navigate the journey of crisis, resilience, and growth. Data science is more art than science, and data scientists are artists who make sense of complex, chaotic information and present that in exciting ways. Even named the sexiest job of the times, this field has become a staple across companies around the world. Hi, I'm Praveen Badada, Managing Partner at Zinov, and today I have with me Ranjani Mani, Director, Analytics and Data Products at VMware. Ranjani leads a global team of 35 plus data scientists, analytics managers, and product managers across four geographies and engages with leadership teams across PM, engineering, IT, technical, and C-suite to solve business problems for customer experience and success organization at VMware. She has more than 15 years of experience in setting up and growing data science teams, product management, consulting, and analytics with stints across high-tech companies such as Dell, Oracle, and most recently at VMware. Welcome to the Zenov Podcast Business Resilience Series, Ranjani. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Hello, Praveen, and hi to everyone who's listening. It's a great honor and pleasure to be here. I did go through your podcast, Praveen. You have had eminent speakers, right? So it's absolutely an honor to be here. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ranjani, for the kind words. Uh, So let's just uh, dive right in, and I just want to get started with my first question. Um, You have been a consummate technologists, you've worked with some of the biggest technology brands out there. You've done, like I said, product management, analytics, most recently data science. Uh, you've worked and led you know, global teams in different roles over the last 15 years. I'm very curious to find out how did you eventually land up at data science? You know, what drew your attention and you know, energy and passion towards mm-hmm. the field of data science? Yeah. Um... Yes. So uh, if you kind of take a step back and think about where our country is today versus only even two decades ago, right? The massive transformation we have had, which we today take for granted, is thanks to technology, right? And uh, for me, Praveen, my parents had uh, uh, degrees in English literature, so very different uh, background, right? And they worked in government organizations. So for someone like me, I think tech has been one of the greatest levelers, right? And uh, personally, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but over a period of time, I realized that it falls under three categories. AI and technology, uh, absolutely uh, love uh, the space in itself. Uh, Books and being better, right? And uh, growing up, uh, thanks to my mom, who was also working, like this is like three decades ago, right? Um, I've been a strong believer in breaking these stereotypes and uh, hence my strong interest in tech. And honestly, uh, there's no better time to be in technology than right now, right? And you spoke about uh, analytics. So analytics, I think, uh, marries my interest of solving for business problems and uh, making sense of patterns and data, right? And in this uh, 15 plus years of experience, um, I've kind of worked across product pricing, customer experience, analytics, but I've realized that uh, what I love the most is solving problems, right? And uh, if I were to kind of conclude that, I 
very strongly believe that analytics and the most accurate models are not useful unless the humans who are involved in it can use it, right? Uh, and therefore, I think that uh, AI strategy should be very aligned to business strategy. And we should start with the needs of the humans in the loop, right? And managing a team of data sciences uh, isn't managing a team of high performers. It requires you to build your leadership skills and requires exceptional leadership. It means that you need to constantly learn and enable people, right? And all of that is something which appeals to me very strongly. So um, I do love going into work each day. I love doing what I'm doing. And I think that's a good place to be in, right? Yeah. Love it. Lo love the responses. I think technology is a great leveler. We hear yeah. that very, very often. I think so it couldn't have been truer uh, in today's context as we just yeah. come out of the pandemic period. And I really loved your you know, focus on AI, technology, books, and better. I can mm. so totally relate to, to some of those. But I was particularly curious about the last point you made, which is the whole blend between data science and business strategy. Mm. Obviously, for successful outcomes, uh, these two have to work in tandem. There has to be a lot of coherence uh, in in how these two teams operate or how these two uh, mm. you know, concepts align at an organization level. Mm. Uh, give us a little bit of a you know, deeper dive in terms of how do leaders like you uh, try and strike that balance? What are the challenges and what are the best practices that you've learned um, mm. you know, in, in doing so, in bringing data science and business strategy together? Yeah, no, that is such a great question, right, Praveen? And uh, I don't think it's get asked enough. Um, I, I was reading this research, Praveen, I think by Gartner, and they had predicted that 80% of analytics um, will not deliver business outcomes, I think, through 2022 at that point in time. And why, why do you have so many AI projects which fail, right? And I think one of the key reasons is that AI strategy doesn't align with business strategy. And they, these are usually driven in parallel. And there was this case study which they had highlighted uh, about this organization, which illustrates this point, right? So uh, this calls out as to what happens when data science and business don't play at it as a team sport. So apparently there's this organization, um, they wanted to build out a recommender system, right? So this is for use by their customer service representatives. And uh, the idea was to suggest uh, solutions to common problems which customers face. Now, the project was touted as this uh, big cost saver for the company itself, right? Now, uh, after they kind of rolled it out, it took them a few months to realize that the agents, the customer service agents, were not even using it, right? And then it took them some more time to figure out why are they not using it. So apparently, uh, they realized that the problem was not necessarily with the algorithm in itself, but the data on which the model was trained, right? It was apparently trained on this ideal set of technical descriptions uh, versus what the customer actually enters, which is very different things if you think about it, right? And apart from that, they also realized that there are overlapping categories in the data, which is not taken into consideration when they were training the model. So this is something which I've noticed over a period of time in the work which we do as well, right? That uh, most data scientists uh, tend to miss it, right? They don't think about it like from a design thinking approach, starting with the user and say, what is the problem? What are we trying to solve? And then how can AI solve it? Are we augmenting it or automating, right? right? It usually starts with the solution and then saying, okay, how can we use the output of this model? So I think that's a gap which exists. And um, I think HBR, you spoke about the sexiest job when we started, right? Uh, and in the same publication, HBR also called out the need for a role 
akin to a translator of the business into a technical problem, right? Um, being the storyteller and conveying the value to the business. And therefore, what I've tried to do over a period of time is to hire for complementary skill sets, right? So not just ML engineers, I hire for business analysts, I hire for people from consulting backgrounds. Again, your hiring strategy depends on your maturity of an organization, but as I've kind of scaled my team, that's something I've consciously looked at, right? And um, therefore, I probably would conclude with this, right? Uh, BCG had this uh, report on winning with AI and the need of integrating AI strategy with business strategy if you need to win, right? So short answer, yes, how I try to drive that balance is to start with the customer and the business uh, objective and then say, okay, what are the problems we are trying to solve? Then think about how can AI solve it in a unique way, right? So that's something which I've tried to uh, straddle over a period of time. So let's talk a little bit about uh, winning with AI. You, you kind of brought that up in as part of the conclusion of the previous question. Uh, I think, uh, you know, as you're aware, I get to talk to a lot of CXOs in the global ecosystem and private conversation, uh, while most of them agree that AI hasn't really delivered uh, on its promise, I think there are two reasons why broadly people talk about that. One is exactly what you said, which is, you know, how do you keep customer problems at the center of it and train your yeah. model uh, around that, that you know, scenario of the customers rather than through a technological, uh, yeah. you know, guideline. Uh, which definitely is a big, big problem. Uh, but the hope is that, you know, as we get more data, as the data get cleaner, uh, some of that modeling issues will get solved. And, you know, as, as business strategy and data science teams come together, they will find a way to solve for the biggest, most complex problems uh, that are there in the enterprise. But there's this second problem that you know, they don't talk about a lot in public domain, but in private conversations, uh, they also believe that a lot of people do not want to use AI because there's this inherent sense of insecurity uh, mm. that the AI, uh, you know, technologies uh, will someday take over their own jobs. Mm. Um, we see that quite often in analytics and data science space, you know, when you think of data processing, visualization, the amount mm. of automation on the back of AI that's happening today is mind-blowing, right? In terms of, you know, how AI can really perform some of those tasks that uh, in the historic times, you would have depended on, on an analyst to do that, right? So my question to you as someone who's at the center of all of this, uh, mm. do you believe that AI can truly take over analytics and data science jobs? And, uh, mm. you know, how can data scientists be really thinking about the next few years as, as this technology evolves and matures? What are you reading? What are you planning for as a, as a leader in this space? Uh, before getting into the data science space, right? I probably taking a step back. I think um, what this reminded me is this quote from a Seth Gordon book. Um, I read a lot, by the way. So this this is one of the books I really loved. It's called Lynchpin. It's by Seth Gordon. And he talks about, uh, you know, the difference between a job and a career, right? So he says a job is what you do when you're told what to do, right? A job is like showing up at a factory, following instructions, meeting specifications, and being matched, right? And he says, someone can always do your job better or faster or cheaper than you can. But your art or your career is what you do when no one can exactly tell you how to do it, right? Like connecting the dots, taking personal responsibility, challenging the status quo, critical thinking, right? And um, so he says that um, if you focus on doing work and driving your career and focusing on the art, that's how you become a linchpin at your careers, right? And I thought that was very relevant when I read this because um, if you think about it, of the data science world, if all you can do is code in Python as well as someone else can, then yes, absolutely, you're going to be replaceable because there will always be someone 
or for that matter, some tech which will come up, right, which would do it faster and cheaper and make you irreplaceable. So that applies across skill sets, right? So getting back to your question, yes, um, AI is disrupting sectors like never before, and it is going to happen, right, whether we like it or not. Uh, so I will probably rephrase or look at the question not as data science jobs getting automated, but rather data science tasks which could be uh, automated, right? So let's talk about what AI is automating, and you did touch upon that, right? It tends to be areas which can be done without human intervention, like say data processing or lower level tasks, right? Like automated testing, migration, or monitoring data quality for that matter, right? And uh, if you think about it, um, there was this report, uh, probably by McKinsey, which said that uh, uh, around 69, 70% of the time is spent, of data scientists is spent on just the data collection and processing. Think about that, right? That could be automated. So um, I would say that's probably a good thing, right? Because automation of tasks which are repetitive, manually intensive, and which do not require deep science expertise, that will free up bandwidth for data scientists to focus on more value-added activities, right? So therefore, I would think of how AI and humans could work in a complementary manner to augment their efforts, right? And use human discretion on things which they need to, right? Like understanding the context of the problem. Uh, asking the right questions or converting an output to an outcome, right? So in all honesty, Praveen, to conclude uh, there, right, I would focus less on worrying about jobs being replaced unless you are in such a role yourself, right? And more on skills one could add and stack up that could play to your favor, right? And the sheer number of roles which are there around ML engineers and data scientists is adding uh, credibility to that, right? I, I love that. I think it's quite thought-provoking, the whole, uh, you know, career versus job, uh, yeah. you know, narrative. I think something that, um, you know, it's very thought-provoking. I'm going to definitely pick up that book and, you know, go deeper into this. I think it's a very interesting, unique, uh, you yeah. know, lens to look at what should be automated and where should humans really, uh, you know, focus on once they have the free bandwidth because of mm -hmm. AI. Um, I think it's a it's a great perspective. I think uh, so. Let's let's shift a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, some gears here, and uh, you know, talk a little bit uh, on the personal side. I uh, follow you on LinkedIn, and I I recommend everyone on the podcast listening today to to follow Ranjiti for some real thought provoking, fun content on LinkedIn. There's so much value and education uh, in the content that Ranjiti posts on on LinkedIn. Uh, I've often observed, Ranjiti, that you place a lot of value on empathy and compassion, right? In whatever you think, whatever you write, whatever you do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as a leader, uh, I just wanted to pick your brains in terms of how do you think of non-negotiables for leaders? How deeply rooted today's empathy, compassion, uh, things like those? And what are some of the other values uh, mm -hmm. that you live by uh, as a leader in the tech space? And specifically, a women leader in the in the tech space. Yeah, yeah. This is a topic I've thought about oft, right? As I've tried to consciously improve myself also as a leader. So uh, here's here's the thing, Praveen. Uh, so very early in my career, right, when I just started off, I had the opportunity to work with two extreme type of leaders, right? One I absolutely loved and wanted to emulate, and one I did not want to be, right? As I when I became a leader, and it's good to have those learnings because. Um, it helps you define what you want to be, right? And uh, when I first became a manager, I think one of my uh, mentors told me this, right? He said, uh, apart from your spouse, uh, your manager is probably the one who has the most influence on how your day turns out, right? 
And that's a lot of responsibility, right? So uh, if you think about it, so therefore, I, that's something I consciously choose to work towards improving over time. So if you think about great bosses, what matters is how one is supported, not just at their best, but also at their worst. So, um, so you're coming back to your question in terms of values, what does that translate to? Uh, there are multiple things, right? But at its core, for me, it translate to key three key different things. Um, the first one is to uh, treat people fairly, right? Uh, being nice and being respectful, irrespective of where they come from, what level they are at, and what they do. And that means that for me, ensuring that the teams operate at an equal playing field, right? That everyone has uh, voices and they get heard. Um, to unlock people to do their best work and help them live their potential, right? Um, if people are happy, they tend to do their best work. It sounds like a cliche, but I've seen that over and over and over again, right? So I think that is something which is absolutely non-negotiable for me. Um, the second thing is to assume goodwill, right? And um, many of projects, um, most of the time, when you think about why they fail, it's less to do with technical issues. It's more to do with lack of communication, right? So. Um, most folks don't intentionally want to mess up, right? So it usually tends to be a lack of a common understanding. So one thing um, I've learned to do over time and I uh, stress my teams to do is to assume goodwill on the other person's part, right? Assuming that they're coming from the right place and being open to communication. And that helps build those bridges over a period of time. And the third is probably the most important, um, integrity, right? Um, and as a hiring manager, I've seen like one solid trait across all the great hires I've had. It's definitely not technical skills or business domain or even communication, right? It's this uh, unwavering sense of accountability and ownership. And you spoke about the different eras, right? And this knowledge economy, uh, I cannot tell them to do the A, B, and C, right? It's very complex problem solving. It requires multiple teams to come together, collaborate, and work in ambiguity. And if you're working in such a scenario, it requires integrity, right? It requires you to do the right thing, even when no one is watching. So integrity in yourself and the teams you work on, I think inculcating that as a culture is something which is non-negotiable for me as well. So probably uh, th those are things which I would put my money on. Love it, love it. So just to round up the serious part of the podcast and my final question, and then we'll get into a little bit of a fun section. Um, uh -huh. What's the top three tech trends that you would put your personal money on if you think of the next three to five year kind of time frame? Uh, what are you most excited about? Yeah, so <laughs> tech is always such a passionate topic, right? Uh, I love, I, I, I'm a like, very futuristic person, I love understanding what's going to happen in the future, right? So uh, one thing about tech is uh, we think linearly, right? But tech moves exponentially, right? So which is very important to understand. Uh, there are a lot of areas which is going to change, but the ones which I'm very curious about and probably going to put in my money on is the A on Web 3.0. The entire crypto decentralization, uh, blockchain, and the technologies covering Web 3.0, right? So I think Chris Nixon had this brilliant article, which I would recommend everyone reads about why Web 3.0 matters. And he talks about how um, right now we are in the beginning of this Web 3.0 era, right? And it, how it combines this decentralized um, ethos of Web 1 with the functionality of Web 2. And so I think personally, Web 3.0 is... Um, bringing in the best of both previous eras, right? Now, why is it important? Just because it's going to put the power back in the hands of the creators and the end user. 
Now, that means that you cut down on the middlemen and potentially rewire the way the business models exist today, right? And that's going to bring in a completely new uh, work stream of technology and companies uh, working towards it, right? So, um, again, it's an area I'm not an expert on, but something which I'm definitely invested in learning more on because that's the power of uh, tech, which I believe in, right? So that's one. Uh, the second is probably uh, clean tech, right? Um, I think uh, I was reading the report which called out that uh, by 2025, probably it was World Economic Forum, right? That uh, carbon footprint in itself will be viewed as socially unacceptable, right? Like much like drunk driving today is uh, yes. unacceptable. So I think uh, uh, not just individuals, but companies and countries will look at ways in which, or affordable ways in which they can achieve net zero and uh, how they can eliminate their carbon footprint. And you see that around, right? You see the focus on green uh, tech around. So what this is going to probably bring in is this uh, diversity of new technologies, which are aimed at both reducing and removing the emissions across the world, right? So uh, when you focus on things like this, it will unleash a wave of innovation, right? Uh, similar to what you call that as industrial revolutions in the past. So definitely, and this is something you would be proud of innovating against as well, right? Clean tech. So definitely that's something I would love for it to do. Um, finally, maybe... Uh, the convergence of all the technologies, right? We tend to think of them in silos, not just linearly, but also in silos, right? So uh, Peter Diamond just has this book around how the tech is going to move in the future. And he talks about exponentially converging technologies, right? Across AI and quantum computing and cloud and 5G, IoT and AR, VR. I think all of them coming together, he talks about how they transform every industry. So that's the other thing. Uh, when we think about tech, how can we think about them coming together? That's something I've consciously tried to learn more about. So I know that those are the top three, but maybe one thing I do want to touch upon is the metaverse, right? Um, this is something I will acknowledge. I know it is happening, this blurring of virtual and physical spaces. Um, but I don't know where I stand on it today, right? So I am reading this book called Snow Crash. Uh, it's by Neil Stephenson. And the book is the first time the metaverse phrase was coined. So that it borrows it from that book, right? And honestly, um, uh, first of all, it's the, it was written in 95. So it was just phenomenal that he envisioned something like that. Uh, but then it's very intriguing and, and worrying at the same time, right? So, but I know that that is something which is happening and something which we should be aware of and learn more about, right? If you're in this space. So, yeah, to end, um, I think in tech in itself is intrinsically not good or bad. It depends on the intentions of the user, right? So, I hope we work on building a world uh, which we would love our kids to live in. I think uh, we've come to a you know fag end of our, our podcast. I just have a quick rapid fire round to uh, do with you. Just you know simple questions um, yeah. in terms of your current preferences, etc. So uh, I know this might sound like a repetitive one, but I'm very curious to know what are you currently reading? What what is the most favorite book that you have in hand that you're not able to leave? Yeah, no, uh reading is always a fun thing to talk about for me. So. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I tend to read like in parallel. Like I tend to read two, three books in parallel. Uh, otherwise, I get bored. So one, like I said, I'm reading Snow Crash. Um, okay. It's more sci-fi, but highly recommend. Right, if you are interested in the genre. Uh, the second I'm reading is Behave. It's by um, Robert Sapolsky, I think. Right. So he talks from the neuroscience perspective in terms of why we behave the way we do. Right. What drives our actions, and it's 
it's kind of dense in terms of science, but very, very interesting, right? Kind of unpacking our behavior uh, as human beings. Very nice, very nice. What's that one favorite restaurant in Bangalore that you'd recommend to everyone? <laughs> um, honestly, I am not a foodie, right? So um, I usually go to places uh, which are open. I think the reason one I've been to is Pump House and I quite liked it. So probably that's the one topic, right? Very nice. And um, the words that you live by every day? Hmm. Um, yeah, quite a lot. But okay, maybe if I have to pick one, do what is right, not what is easy. Maybe that's what I would pick. Wonderful. Lovely. Thank you so much, Ranjani, for uh, this fun session and uh, really appreciate you taking out time to talk to us today and share very candidly your thoughts and opinions uh, across a range of questions, some serious ones and some not so serious ones. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation. The best part for me was how you linked everything to what you've read and such lovely recommendations of books that I'm going to, I'm just waiting, itching to just go to Amazon and order all those books for myself. So really, really appreciate uh, you sharing all those insights and best practices and I loved everything that you, you talked about on the on the podcast. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I absolutely enjoy this conversation with Praveen and all of your uh, back and forth on this, right? And your thoughts on this as well. Brilliant uh, conversation. And as always, um, highly do recommend the books and I hope you folks pick up. Please feel free to drop a note in case um, you found any of them interesting. Yeah. But thanks for having me here, Praveen. I quite enjoyed this. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Uh, that's all for today. We will be back with another episode, another hot topic, another expert very, very soon. Until then, take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Business Resilience Series. Stay tuned for more such interesting episodes. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. To know more about Zenove, visit our website, www.zenove.com, or drop us a note at info at zenove.com. Follow us on Twitter at Zenove for regular updates on our content. Thank you again for listening to the Business Resilience Series of the Zenove Podcast.